Welcome to Nate Takes On Real Estate. I'm Nate Cody, a realtor with Modern Realty in Midland, Michigan, and I've noticed people love to talk about real estate. The good, the bad, and especially the ugly. So, eh, why not podcast about it? Between bouts negotiating for clients like you, I interview noteworthy, knowledgeable, or failing all else, entertaining guests about all kinds of topics in the world of real estate. From the practical, what do you do when a house fails an inspection, to the weird, you bought the house because it has a ghost? So please, join me in today's episode of Nate Takes on Real Estate. My guest today is Andrea Foster, returning for her second episode while serving as the Community Programs Manager at the Little Forks Conservancy right here in Midland, Michigan. Today, we are going to discuss two more miscreants from the rogues gallery of exotic invasive plants that can do more than hurt your property value. So please, join Andrea and me for today's episode of Nate Takes on Real Estate. Hey Andrea, how are you? I'm doing well, Nate. How are you? I'm doing well too. We're out here at the conservatory. Conservancy. Conservatory is where you would maybe make music or have very special Ah. exotic plants. Uh, under glass, oh. but we are the conservancy. Thank you very much. You're I kind of feel like I knew both those words and probably never had them right. You are not the first person to ask that question. We are here at the conservancy, Little Forks Conservancy, and it's raining. There's a gentle rain outside, and I'm here with Andrea, of course, and we're going to talk about some exotic invasives. And Andrea doesn't know this, but I'm going to push two pictures at her and see what kind of hot take she has about these. And you can slide it sideways. Oh, okay. Well, this is either, it's hard to tell, but it's either garlic mustard or wild ginger. One of them is good and one of them is not. So there's a chance it's not garlic mustard. Well, the best way to find out, Nate, do you know how to do this? No. Well, is crush them up, yeah. smell them, and I was in such a rush over here, I did not do that. Well, I think it's entirely possible, but I would just do the crush and sniff and maybe taste test. So I'm showing a picture of a violet-looking plant in my own yard and I was looking at it and I was listening to our previous podcast and we talked about garlic mustard and you talked about how hard it was to get rid of you seven years of picking Mm -hmm. basically and I thought oh no that that sounds like what I've got in my yard so maybe but there as you just heard there's hope yeah it may also be as you said violets because sometimes the two get confused for each other just based on like a single leaf Mm -hmm. but yeah you just crush it and you sniff it and some people will actually use garlic mustard as food yeah and like farm to table type salad stuff so it can be used for good it's just you don't really want it in your yard i could just declare an organic farm and try and get some people over to pick it for the uh for the market Yes, I hear it's very easy process. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was looking it up, and it, it, that's an interesting one because this would be, as from what I understand, like almost the if it's garlic mustard, would be like just the first year. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it grows quite a bit taller and everything like that. Like most mustards are quite a bit taller and stuff like that. But I think mowing it 
just kind of spreads it maybe a little bit. No, it just depends if um, if it started to seed or if it has flowers, yeah. then mowing it's not the best idea. You can cut it at the base and it's not going to reproduce from the leaf. But uh, what you really want to do is keep that leaf intact, grab it at the very base next to the soil and just wiggle it and try and pull the whole tap root out. Yep. It's going to look like a little carrot. Yep. All right. Well, I will get back to uh, back to my podcast audience and let them know how that comes out. But I may have personally benefited from my relationship with an expert like you. So thank you. Thank you. So we want to talk more about exotic invasives that can get in your lawn or near your house. And and you and I chat a little bit and you've got a couple of good ones to talk about. What What are we starting with? Well, the first one I really like to talk about is Japanese barberry because this is just a really interesting plant. Plants can do some really weird things. And this one is unfortunately also known as like a decorative shrub. Right. And so you'll find it at like brand new houses. The contractors will put it in or landscapers will put it in, but it comes with a lot of issues. Okay. So it's a small spiny shrub in the deciduous family. And it's typically about between one and three feet tall whenever it was um, planted. And it has little red berries. The leaves might be light yellow or kind of mostly usually green. It does flower and those flowers are also light yellow. But so the problem is it's got these little spikes all over it and so you have to be wearing like really heavy gloves just to touch it or trim it or anything and because it's so hard to get to that will can also make these plants really good hosts for other species that would like to be protected Um, however unfortunately it's not the species that we like so that would be maybe Oh, it is definitely deer tick. See, so now let me back up just a second. Are there multiple barberries that people use or are, because you're hitting me here and I know barberries are often used in bonsai trees. I do bonsai trees and I do have one in my yard and I'm wondering if there are multiple species and, or if they're all the, uh, I think they're probably all the imported species. Yeah, so there are other species of barberry, oh, okay. but whenever you're questioning something of maybe I have an okay version of this, yeah. just Google it and find out where it's yeah. from. Because if it's not from our continent and your region, yeah. it's probably exotic, and then you get to find out is it an exotic invasive or not. And this one is. This one is. So, so, so tell me more about the kind of the microhabitat of it or what. Yeah, it- so it really... It's just a wonderful place for deer ticks ah. to, to live and use as their habitat. Yeah. And as we all know, deer ticks are not something that anyone likes. Ticks right. can carry Lyme disease, which can be fatal in some cases. It's absolutely, absolutely awful. And so as, or highly de- debilitating. I've, yes. I've known a few people with Lyme disease and, and it, it just knocks the just knocks your energy down and it is not does not come back easily no and and there are things you can do if you find a deer tick on you quickly to kind of remediate that and go seek the help you need but it'd be better if we didn't give it a host right absolutely and so barberry is incredibly hard to get to the base of even because it's got all those spines sure 
And then it also is a great habitat for mice, which will also carry Lyme disease. Oh. So anytime you have Japanese barberry, you're essentially saying, oh, would you like some Lyme disease with that today? <laughs> Side of Lyme. Yes. Now, so does it grow in stands, multiple bushes together and that, or does it occur as singles and just really bushy and low to the ground? Or I've seen it mostly in like single bushes, but it'll grow up as like kind of one stalk at first and then a little one coming off yeah. of it. But you'll find them all in similar areas of the region and they can get to be very large if left unchecked so my biggest recommendation to people is get a really heavy pair of gloves and then you want to dig the root ball up you got to just completely get rid of that yep and you know you're digging it the right thing if it if the color of the root ball is similar to turmeric it's extremely yellow and it looks very much like turmeric so if you're not familiar with that go to your grocery store and look at it yeah get some good indian food yeah it does not taste like it i imagine (laughs) and you definitely don't want to try and use it for any other purposes i appreciate you pointing that out you're welcome but you definitely (laughs) want to dig up that whole root ball yeah and it can be very very tough i've had to do it myself many times and the really hard thing is that because people will choose this as an ornamental it's still being perpetually used everywhere. And so nurseries and landscapers should know better. Right. I'm looking right here at a Michigan invasive species book, and it's listed very clearly as an invasive species you do not want. Yeah. So I think if people could just understand that maybe for the health of the community. Sure. You don't perpetuate this or at least get rid of it once you know what it is. There's so this plenty is, of other shrubs you could put in that are much better. Absolutely. And the, the, in, it's interesting that some of these really spread and are really prolific on their own. And here's one that we're like patting on the back and taking and spreading it, even seeing just how far it can go in mm-hmm. terms of agricultural zones, really giving it a good hold. Yeah. And it seems that we hear so much more about ticks now than we did just even several years ago, but for the last five or, or 10 years. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We've found that, well, they're definitely becoming more prevalent as yeah. our climate starts to change. Yep. And every species is interacting with each other and they can have an effect on each other. So as soon as we start altering our ecosystem, yep. certain things are going to thrive that we don't want to thrive. And one of those is ticks and deer ticks specifically. So they really love leaf litter and they also love the forest floor, which is why it makes sense that barberry is also really loves the forest floor. Yeah. And if you have a natural area in your home, it may have been planted there originally or it may have just found its way there. Yep. Um, that's a great place to look for it, but it very much enjoys that soil content. And this is a plug for the uh, the often maligned uh, possums. You want to let possums stick around, native species. Yep. I mean, you go back far enough, but naturally, you know, native species, and they eat tons of ticks. They do, and people give possums a really bad rap, but they are wonderful animals because they primarily eat ticks. Yep. Just ugly as sin. I think they're cute. Some people do. I think it's kind of like it's kind of like an acquired taste. Is it like I think they're cuter. Oh, not cilantro. I've got that cilantro <laughs> thing where it tastes like soap. You've heard of that? Oh yeah, a genetic yeah, thing. Mm-hmm. So no, not cilantro, but uh, 
that's the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what do we have next on our uh, list of bad guys here? Well, I was thinking we could chat a little bit about autumn olive because that is one that's fairly prevalent in our area. Yeah. And it's actually got some interesting history in our region specifically. Okay. So a lot of trees and shrubs and invasive plants were, of course, introduced by people. Of course. Now, we have not always had the technology to, to do our research, nor did we have the ability to see in the future. Sure. So there have been times in the past when even we as environmentalists have recommended someone put something in that then turned out to be harmful. Absolutely. And autumn olive and also buckthorn are great examples of this. Buckthorn too. Yes. Okay. Um, specifically, we'll talk about autumn olive. I believe some 30 years ago, the Department of Natural Resources says, hey, we found some really great bird habitat and the deer really love to be around it and it just fills in so nicely and and birds just absolutely love the berries you should really put this in and the unfortunate part is that you really shouldn't and we found out that it has a lot of issues that just aren't good for anything so the DNR, of course, I'm sure apologized as soon as they found uh, out. Yeah, um, sure. But you'll, it's a touchy subject. I yeah. mean, especially in the Gladwin area, we have folks who were given that plant and they still own that property and now they have a heck of a time getting rid of it. So that's one that really spreads on its own once it's established. And Absolutely. And it's, it's also very hard to get rid of because it will spread so prolifically. You leave a farm field alone for two years and it's right next to autumn olive you will have another farm field full of autumn olive in two years. And so the, is this kind of like like buckthorn? Is it kind of a shrub? Mm-hmm. Yep. Stands up? Yep. So it's another deciduous shrub. You'll find that a lot. Um, yeah. Kind of a small tree. But they can grow to be very large. Yeah. Once you learn how to see them, if you've ever seen an olive tree, they all look very similar as right. far as leaf shape. So it's kind of a, I don't even know how to describe it, like a pointy oval. With yeah, exactly. At each end. Spindle. and. The underneath of them look almost silver and shimmery. And so you can really spot them once you know how to look at them. You'll drive down the highway and you will see autumn olive after autumn autumn olive olive. on all the highways. Is that somehow related to Russian olive? Yes. Um, So they're both invasive. Right. They're both similar. Russian is not maybe as aggressive as autumn olive. And it's pretty, I see a lot of rush. And I think that's also one that may have been introduced Mm -hmm. on purpose for probably aesthetic reasons but now i see it the wind blows and you see the underside of the of the leaves and it's very it's white Mm -hmm. and oh that's that's interesting yeah yeah and so it's very similar both russian and autumn olive are not things that you want yeah but it is tough to get rid of so why is it so tough to get rid of most, just like all of them, they really can do some interesting things. So this yeah. one starts messing with nitrogen levels in the soil. Okay. And that's maybe not why it's hard to get rid of, but something that really helps facilitate its own growth. Yeah. Because it will kind of kill out other things that can't handle that nitrogen. Well, yeah, of course. And then it will give itself room to spread. And so sometimes it's just by sheer volume, but it's also a very strong plant. Yeah. So you're essentially hacking down a tree and then you have to, you know, I would recommend if it's larger, you cut it at the base and using a a very specific pesticide applicator or something, you would kind of paint 
some herbicide on there. I wanted to ask about that specifically. May I interrupt? So I stump killer, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, I have trees that every year I try and cut down. They come back and they come back and they come back. So the uh, last year I started using stump killer Mm -hmm. and it's system systemic. So it's, it's taken down into the roots and kills the whole thing. Yes. Is that a problem? Is that a problem? Like you're leaving this, this poison in the environment or anything like that? Or are you, or we haven't gotten to that point yet. You know, it's a touchy subject when it comes to herbicides and chemicals because as conservationists, it's our job to kind of manage any invasive species that comes onto the property because you want to make it a thriving property for your native wildlife and native species. So I think for, for us, really what we've come down to is intentionality. Okay. Don't use a foliar spray all over. Right. But what you can do is very specifically combat the plant that you want okay. with that herbicide. So your stump killer is great, especially if you're using some sort of paintbrush to put it on and right. gloves. And you have to remember to protect yourself because right. you don't want this stuff coming onto your skin. Um, it is very dangerous to use. Right. And it's not something you want around all the time. It's right. not something you want to use often. But what you can do is just be very intentional about how you use it and where and when, because you talked a lot about how it gets sucked into the roots. There's different times of the year that it's best to paint that on, usually when it's colder, because it's it's looking for those nutrients. And so it'll that makes suck perfect that down sense, in there. Yeah. Yep. And so, again, it's, it's tough to make those decisions, and those really have to be a personal choice. But yeah. there's a lot of other methods you can use to apply an herbicide that simply are not just wildly distributing it. Well, I happen to be related to a toxicologist that works for a larger chemical company around here. Mm -hmm. And she's always talking about in very similar terms. And she's an environmentalist. I'm an environmentalist. We both come from biology. So I ask, I see these, see articles and I ask her and she often says, read the label. If people really read the label, and applied it correctly, a lot of the damage would be mitigated. It wouldn't get, you don't spray it in the wind, you don't use it. So these are tools. Some are good, some are bad. Sometimes, once in a while, we get a bad one, we think it's a good one, and find out, you know, later. But all of them, that there is actually... It's a great word, intentionality. They didn't make up these directions, For nothing. You want to follow those directions in terms of dose and and, and those type of things. So We also make sure that anyone who is applying an herbicide has their pesticide and herbicide applicator's license. Okay. So we don't allow anyone employed by us or volunteers to use this unless they have their license or, you know, years and years of experience in which they probably also had their license then. Yeah, of course. we, We like to make sure that whomever is using these chemicals is certified and knowledgeable about how to use them. We've had volunteer days where I have 15 kids out cutting buckthorn for me or cutting autumn olive, but then we have someone who is specifically trained. They will be the only one allowed to apply the herbicide. So it's, again, it's all about being intentional, but being careful as well. Protect yourself. Is autumn olive, doesn't it have a really pretty berry in the fall? Or it does, does. it, yeah. you know, I mean, I guess it just depends on your opinion on berries, but <laughs> it is a red berry yeah. similar to buckthorn. Okay. 
And both of those shrubby tree-like plants, birds love the berries. Yeah. And so it can be, I guess, good habitat. And it's been argued maybe these berries aren't the best thing for the birds. But birds are how they often spread. Because oh, of course. a bird will eat the berries and the seed has to go out somewhere. And so birds don't really use specific areas to defecate. Oh, so no, they're no, just no. going to do it willy-nilly. And then you have little autumn olive seeds being planted every yeah. time. I believe the first time I've ever come in contact with it knowingly, we camped out at the uh, Bay City State Park. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there's some on their, their ground. And I saw some of the berries and I... I looked it up and I thought, oh, there's one of our, uh, there's one of our invasives. Yes. Yeah. And it's incredibly prevalent here. This is one of those plants where let's say you acquire property and you don't really know what you're looking at. Right. And you don't know why you would need to manage it, but you find out at some point, oh no, I have acres of this stuff. Yeah. That's a really big undertaking. Yeah. And so it's something you really have to think hard about. Do you want to just draw a line on the property and say it can't come past here and that's the area that you manage? Or do you want to spend a whole lot of effort and a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money to eradicate it completely? Yep. And so it's really when these things have been unchecked, that's something to look for. No one ever thinks to look at invasive species when they're buying a home or buying property. And that's the first thing I did. I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, I will go and look at the property and I'll say, oh, that's going to be a lot of work. I don't know if I want to do that. Maybe I get a different property. But, you know, again, it's all about what you're looking for. Look What you're looking for. Uh, Well, I very much appreciate you coming and talking. Are you talking to me today? Absolutely. And next time, I think I want to get you on something called Sisma. Oh, yes. Does that sound familiar? Yes. That will be our cliffhanger for next time. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. You're very welcome, mate. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us today. When you need a realtor, give me a call at 989-600-4214. Together, we'll get it done with both professionalism and a little bit of humor. Let me know if you have a topic you'd like me to cover on this podcast by dropping me a line or even better, stop by and see me at Modern Realty at 6024 Eastman Avenue right here in Midland, Michigan. For all you Facebookers, you can find me by searching for Nate Cody of Modern Realty. And don't forget the A in Cody. It stands for a good time to call your realtor. Keep your eye on the market and I'll see you out there.